2: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is uh, thrilled to be included on a number of lists of um, the best podcast to listen to. From Inc.com to Fit Small Business, Proven, MSNBC's Your Business, uh, and a whole bunch of other sites, Uh, we are really gaining recognition as a resource for small business entrepreneurs and sales professionals. This is due in large part to the wonderful guests that I have been honored to speak with over the years, These are folks who have expertise in just a multitude of areas that have to do with business. They join me here. uh, They give of their time and their talent and their knowledge uh, so that you folks, listeners, can do better things in your business. We have such a guest today. Uh, Joining me today is Rick Snyder. Rick is an international business coach, writer, speaker, and consultant who has launched three businesses. He's an expert in mentoring, training, and teaching others how to utilize the process of bringing intuition into an effective business plan and company culture. His breakthrough strategies have been implemented by executives and businesses in Europe, Canada, Asia, and America. He's lived the past few years in France and brings a global perspective to his teachings. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rick.
0: Thank you for having me, Diane.
2: I am thrilled this is, I I was telling you before we started recording that this intuition is one of my favorite subjects. I believe strongly in it and am so glad that we are talking about it so that um, the audience maybe either further embraces or gets a better perspective on it. Um, Now uh, interestingly, you talk about it for business, which I also, you know, believe in. But can you talk some about um, like the value of letting tuition guide decisions in business and and why you think that is such a valuable thing?
0: Yes, um, so so often, as we know in the business world, whether we think about business you know education um, getting your MBA or what have you, um, or typical business practice, so much is spoken to about analytics, metrics, spreadsheets, data, and we're really in an age of big data, and we have more information than we know what to do with in today's world than ever before. So not only does that get overwhelming, but what often happens is we start to uh, crowd out the space from our inner uh, data that we also are collecting. And so to me, that's what intuition is actually about, is really listening to the inner signals and the indicators that we're actually picking up on all the time around us, whether that's in a meeting room or on a sales call, um, or even with uh, anticipating your marketplace. Um, there's a lot of great information that's happening within that I believe is meant to balance out the outer data, the outer metrics, versus only relying on one or the other.
2: Oh, OK. so. If I'm hearing you right, you're saying they can work together.
0: Exactly. Um, so often what I find is that people either uh, align themselves on one camp and yeah. they're either the intuitives who don't want to deal with money and sales and numbers and metrics and targets and they feel like they're allergic to them, <laughs> which, which I work with a lot of creatives and so I've, I've experienced that quite a lot. Um, then the other side is the more logical data scientists, engineers who think that intuition is just hocus pocus and doesn't apply to the real world. Yeah. And so it's interesting because each camp, in my opinion, is missing out on something so valuable because there really is something in a more integrative approach where you're learning to pay attention to those inner signals and learning to trust that relationship with yourself. Um, and those around you, but at the same time, you're also not ignoring doing the research and learning the metrics and making sure you're doing your due diligence on anything that you're, you're pursuing.
2: Yeah, this is, this is so fascinating. As you're, you're talking, I keep thinking about um, when I teach or speak about sales, one of the things that I talk about is not focusing on selling so that you can pick up the signals that are being sent to you. And, and we don't, because we're so focused someplace else, but it's allowing that, you know, your gut to, to play a role in helping you identify who you should be working with and shouldn't be working with.
0: Precisely. In fact, um, that's one of my favorite conversations. There's the sales conversation. And, and when I look back at this, you know, I've, I've also been a salesperson myself on a 100-person team and got some great training. And, and one of the things I appreciated was just starting to tune into the nonverbal communication <laughs> and all the things that happen in the spaces between the words, between the stages of a sales process. And, and really, it starts to train you. Are you really listening to the person you're speaking to? Are you really listening to the prospect? and getting their world, and using your intuition. And in my opinion, really good salespeople are using their intuition all the time. They just might not call it that, and they might not know that they're consciously doing that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with that, uh, for sure. Um, that's really interesting. So let's talk about it also with um, like hiring and firing, because I this is an area where I think people should be using their intuition far more than they do they i think they they reason and they rationalize too much so how i mean i guess my question i have a couple questions one is what do you think about that and two if, if you think that we could be using our gut how would we do that to, to hire and i guess fire more effectively but hopefully hire more effectively
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So yes, I do think this is one of the key elements that often gets missed in a hiring or recruiting process. Um, and once again, like we were saying, you can it's easy to focus on the outer metrics. So what does that look like in the hiring process? We get too attached to the resume and the great education or school they went to or whatever training they might have. But here's the thing, <clears throat> someone could have the best training, the best schools, the best certifications, but it doesn't mean that they're going to fit your company culture. It doesn't mean they're going to know how to work with your customer and that they're going to be able to work on your team. And so that's really where the intuition comes in handy, is really getting a feel for the person in front of you. And of course, the other hard part about hiring is that every candidate is selling their best self to you. They're, you're seeing their best version of themselves and it's really hard sometimes to get underneath that of who who are they really and what makes them tick, where do they really excel, what are their fears, um, what are their aspirations. Sometimes it takes a lot of work to get underneath what they're selling you in that moment because of course they want the job um, and so it makes sense but that's where the intuition piece comes in so handy is really learning to trust your gut and feel for your own company culture your own value company values and direction and and vision and and also just feeling out, Hey, do, do I feel a resonance with this person? Is there anything, is there any red flags that's coming up for me for any reason at all? Do I, do I feel compelled to ask a question that's off script?
2: Uh, Okay. So, so then Is it okay, let's say you go through the whole interview process with somebody and on paper, they look like the ideal candidate and as they're talking to you, they're saying all the right things, but you've just got this nagging feeling that they're just not a fit. Is that good enough to say, thank you so much, we're not going to be moving forward at this time?
0: Um, Yeah. So um, I've actually had this happen recently with a company that I coach in Arizona. And just as you're saying, they had the perfect candidate on paper. Uh, She interviewed very well uh, for the position. And yet there still was this gut feeling that the CEO had that, you know, I I don't know why it doesn't make sense to my mind. It doesn't, you know, match my logic here. But I just get this feeling that she's just not the fit. And, and so just as you're saying, you, I, I would advise, and I did advise, you got to listen to that and trust that, but you also still need to ask around, you know, we all do have our biases and assumptions. And yeah. that's where it gets really tricky, right? Is, is it intuition or do I have a bias?
2: So, okay. So, that's such a good point. So did, should they have other people interviewing the, the person, you know, internally
0: Right. so that's where it's, You're right. That's where it's really good to have extra pairs of eyes, maybe a couple different sets of interviews, if it's a, especially if it's a really important candidate for your company or a higher level manager or a senior management uh, or someone on the leadership team, etc. Um, that's where, yes, you do want to have a few sets of interviews, really be with them in the, pro, in the process. But there's also things you can do uh, that really have you see what happens off script. You know, there's the classic thing that Google does where you know, they actually grab a beer uh, or, you know, a drink or something with the candidate. And it's really a chance to get to know them as a person off the record, if you will. And a lot of times people will share more about themselves in that hour or that half hour um, than you got to see during the staged interview. Or even, you know, the, what they call the five minutes of walking to your car, walking them to their car in the parking lot where you're, it's just really casual. The meeting's over but you're still actually interviewing them. You're still getting a sense of who they are and, and, what's, and if they're a fit. And so I think some of those, building in some of those strategies is really helpful because you get even more intuitive reads on, on who they are, uh, what they're capable of, if they're a fit for your company.
2: That's fascinating. I never would have thought about that, that those are really good ideas.
0: In fact, the company that I told you about in Arizona, um, they went through a few screenings. I actually was there coaching on site and they had the whole company come out for a drink to meet uh, the new potential staff member. And I can only imagine how intimidating that must be for the person. But I mean, but I mean, that's pretty intense, right? You have like 30 plus people or whatever in in the space. But um, it's amazing to see how this person handled that. And they ended up getting hired and they were the right fit.
2: Wow. That's that, that is great. That's so interesting to me. So, um, shoot, oh, I just had a question that totally left my head. Um, oh, I know what it was. Is, is there something that a person can do to make sure that they're paying attention? Because I was just listening to that. You know, your explanation, it made so much sense to me, but the thought that kept coming into my head is, yeah, and they have to really make sure that they're paying attention to all of that stuff, that they're present, that they're not focused on the outcome.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Just like with sales, right? Um, It's so easy for a salesperson to focus on the sale and then they're missing the relationship.
2: Right. Right, and
0: but that's, bad. Where, that's where all the data lives is in the relationship.
2: That's interesting.
0: That's where everything, that's where the transaction actually happens is in the yeah. relationship. And so actually when I do trainings, when I lead trainings, whether it's sales or even with managers, as we're talking about how to get them to listen to their intuition and decode that for themselves to train that in themselves, whether they're in a sales or hiring process or whatever it might be that's part of it is how do you start listening to um, what the person in front of you is saying, how they're saying it, what they're not saying. Yeah. Which is, which is equally fascinating. What's like, what's, what, what's not happening in this moment? What are they not saying about themselves?
2: Wow. That's, it's gotta be, uh, I, I shouldn't say hard, but I would think that would be sort of a hard transition to make for someone who isn't used to tapping into their intuition. Like we all have it, right? Everyone's yeah. got intuition.
0: Right. And so, yeah, you're you're exactly right. This is not, it's not easy stuff because it's very intangible. And so that's really what I'm trying to do here is how do you make the intangible tangible? Yeah. Which you know? is, it's a tough task, but <laughs> I feel like that's what my passion is about is helping people get that they actually have this capacity and that they have, they can actually learn how to cultivate that relationship over time. So you're right. It does take practice. It does take time. It's almost like in basketball, you need to do some dribble drills and some of the basics before you can really play in the game. Yeah. And so it, it takes patience, right? It takes a lot of patience to be willing to tune into um, what you're picking up on in some of these ways that you, maybe you've never listened to before consciously.
2: Right. Right. Exactly.
0: But here, yeah. here's the thing, Diane, like imagine if I, if I just mentioned this, I'm sure you can relate where like, you know, if you've been in a relationship too long and you were getting that gut hit, but you still stayed or maybe like a, a career or a, a working relationship that just was going South and you knew it, but you, you did or did not say something. Like we all are getting these messages all the time yeah. and it's a matter of, are we listening? Are we trusting? And are we taking action? Yeah.
2: Do you think, it's so funny that you say that because I'm thinking about um, like some organizations that I'm involved with, that that's actually the, the thought process that I'm going through right now. Like, like, you know, there's a couple of them where I've thought, okay, I'm done. Um, but I wonder if people don't pay attention to that because they feel obligation or guilt or, you know, that there's some overriding emotion or thought process that's keeping them from accepting what their gut is telling them.
0: 100%. And what what I found in my research, and I think, you know, I'm writing a book about this very topic and I have a whole chapter dedicated to this very question around basically what are the barriers to intuition? And, uh, the top emotion I would say is fear. Really? Fear of what? Um, a lot of times I find, uh, in just looking at my own past, but also of course the data and research I've been doing, um, a lot of times it's the fear of the unknown. And if you think about it, you know, our rational mind has us feel very comfortable. We get to feel very comfortable in the world that we know. And, how we can you know, predict our, on our spreadsheets how the next year is gonna go. Um, but reality is actually more chaotic than that, as we know, like life has its own rhythm that we can't always predict, yeah. right? And so, to me, that's the beauty of intuition is it helps, us be, it helps us read out what's happening in real time more accurately, if we're open to that, and it also helps us anticipate the future. So, if I'm listening to my intuition, it might take me to places that are very uncomfortable because it might go against my logical thinking. Right. And so that's where I see a lot of fear show up is we have a very familiar way of doing something, but then we get this gut hit to lead our business in a whole different direction or a product that we is totally outside the box. That's a disruptor. yet okay. this is, this is exactly where this happens. you know Steve Jobs, for example, was uh, famous for walking around barefoot around his neighborhood uh, to to really tap into something else inside of him that was outside the normal day to day thinking
2: Oh, that's interesting
0: and he would get these amazing epiphanies and these intuitions uh, for different products and development that was totally outside the box of what anyone was doing.
2: really. Interesting.
0: And the craziest thing is you can actually teach this stuff. <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, okay. Cause that was going to be my next question, but I have to take a sponsor break real quick. So hang, hang on to that thought. Okay. Yes. Okay. So accelerate your business growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from and you can listen to them on any device including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link which is audibletrial.com/businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 80/20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com/businessgrowth. Explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today, we're talking with Rick Snyder about the value of intuition in business success. Okay, so before we took the break, you said this, you, that this can be taught, that people can actually learn how to do this. So I'm I'm fascinated.
0: How? This is the million-dollar question. okay (laughs) so so here's the thing is that in in, um just thinking about it our normal day-to-day thinking gets us so far right logic gets us so far we're able to do a lot of incredible things with our critical mind and our thinking mind um but sometimes we get to a limit you know we get to a point where we've stared in front of the computer for you know so many hours and we just know that staring in front of it any longer is not going to get us to a solution or thinking harder is not gonna get us to that, to that next step. Yeah. So sometimes we literally have to disrupt how we're thinking or what we're doing. And so a lot of things that I'll implement when I'm working with a team, or if I'm working with some strategic decision makers and they're stuck on some kind of impasse for their business, will literally sometimes get out of the office and go for a walk. Um, literally disrupt their environment and their way of thinking. Um, sometimes it's about, uh, taking a break like that. Sometimes it's just getting away from the computer stretching, having some kind of state change where you're not just in the same kind of way of thinking the same mode. Um, I know some companies that actually bring in, um, other jugglers or other kinds of physical things that get people out of their mind, literally out of their heads and, and have them start to access, um, connecting more with their body, with their, you know, with other people on the team with energy or emotions or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of different ways and creative ways to disrupt our normal day to day thinking, but it could even be like going to the gym, going for a run. I know some people that get their best epiphanies on a run. I think the key is to really figure out what works best for you and what is your way to tap into that deeper space. Some people like to meditate or do some kind of mindfulness practice That's why, you know, honestly, that's why Google and Apple and Zappos are hiring so many coaches or people who bring in, you know, yoga, mindfulness, uh, different alternative practices, because it's having this exact effect of having employees literally tap into deeper aspects of themselves that are outside the day-to-day normal way of thinking.
2: So, this is really so. So, those organizations are bringing people in so that I mean, I, it sounds to me like then that helps increase their creativity and their idea formation.
0: Yes, exactly. So, creativity, idea formation, and, and to me, that's the birthplace of innovation. Yeah. So, this is where it all connects, right? Because you're starting to tap into that deeper way of uh, being and feeling and thinking um, that's not in our conscious. It's more in our subconscious and deeper in our our bodies and in our being. And so what happens, especially if you're in a collective, you can actually start to feed off each other. That's where if you start to do this in meetings or brainstorming sessions, and that's where the whole one plus one equals three, where if you and I are talking, we might have a, a whole new inspiration that neither of us would have come up with just on our own get it and so that's where the one plus one equals a third creation or uh innovation that we never would have just done in our silos right and so that's where sometimes uh doing this in uh with a group of people is very powerful because everyone starts to open up into that collective space of creativity with each other
2: yeah i get that so speaking of creativity um you say that there's been a false war between the left and right sides of the brain. What What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of what we were speaking to earlier, where once again there seems to be two camps where people are either pro left side of the brain, which is more of that logical, uh, practical, directional, linear side of the, how we think, and then the right side of the brain is really our creative, innovative emotional, energetic aspects of how we think in our mind, our mindset. And so what I mean by a false war is really, what if they're not in conflict? What if there's really no need to make one more superior than the other? And from there, can we then agree that maybe we get more out of actually integrating the two instead of minimizing or demonizing one side of that equation?
2: Okay. So, uh, okay. So I'll tell you what. Where I'm, I'm sort of stuck on that one because, like, I know a woman who is a really gifted, um, creative. She she's a um, an artist and um, really, really tremendously talented. Uh, she also is a really good businesswoman. She thinks linear, it's really interesting to watch her, because usually that's not the case with people. Um, How, so, so I'm just really curious about this. So if there's someone who's on the creative side of things, are you saying that they can really also tap into what is that, the right side of their brain? Which side of
0: their brain is that? Um, more the left. You mean more like the linear right. left side? Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Yes, I do think that's possible. Here, here's what I see. And, and once again, I also work a lot with creatives and, you know, digital marketers and brand designers yeah. and artists and what have you. Yeah. Um, and, and so yeah. one of the, uh, what, often what uh, creatives consider a, a bad word or taboo is the word structure. They're almost allergic to structure, right? And so part of my job, you know, when I'm coaching or consulting is to help reframe uh, how you can actually use structure to be more creative.
2: Oh,
0: okay. Instead of relating to structure like the enemy or, you know, something like that, what I find is when you actually get clear about a system that optimizes how you perform in your company, and you start to implement those systems, it can actually free you up to be more who you are and be more creative in the work that you're there to do. So you don't have to worry about some of the administration stuff and some of the extracurricular parts of the work. You can just get on with the creative stuff once more of it is systemized. And so I, I find when creatives start to embrace structure instead of resist it, of course making it a structure that works for their business and their culture. Wow. and you. Um, but I find they don't have to be uh, opposites. They don't have to be enemies.
2: That's really interesting. I like that idea a lot. and I see what you're saying about it. I, I, and that's why I appreciate you answering that because I couldn't see how those two things would live together, but I get it. I get it.
0: You know, um, Hemingway had a very famous quote, you know obviously uh, one of the uh, most famous American writers of all time, uh, very creative, and, and so he said, Um, I only write when I'm inspired and I happen to be inspired every day between nine and 11 AM. Ah, so in a way he's kind of making fun of the whole thing where, um, you know, he was creative, but he had a system, he had a structure. (laughs) So he wasn't just saying only when I feel it or only when I'm spontaneous, but I happen to be spontaneous exactly between these times because (laughs) otherwise I'm not going to get the thing written.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Right. So that is a system. I think people probably don't see it that way. So helping them see that that's actually structure and it's not bad, right? The structure isn't bad in that way. It gives them just a different way of looking at things.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And and like you're saying, like time management is a system, you know, and how, how do we systemize our time and optimize our time? And if, and I think if we, as business owners and managers, especially, start to relate to it that way, they can really look at ways of um, getting more out of their day, getting more life back, actually.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. It works for you instead of feeling like it's working against you. Yeah. It's interesting. So let's talk some about instinct because um, you make a a distinction between intuition and instinct. And I think sometimes people uh, mix those up. So what for you is really the difference
0: between those two? Yeah. You know, this is once again, we're, it's like splitting really fine hairs, but I think it's important to do um, especially as I'm here to define and work with intuition. So I have a personal interest in that, but really the difference is for me around the word safety and survival. And so if I have a basic instinct um, it's really somehow related to my sense of security my sense of safety, my sense of survival. So if I see um, you know, a burning house uh, happening, a burning house situation, and there's a baby right there on the doorstep, and I don't even think about it, but I'm just immediately uh, put into action to save the baby. For me, that's not necessarily an intuition. For me, that's my instinct. That's my instinct around survival, maybe around my tribe or my people or my neighbor, or just being just that good Samaritan that I, that's inside of me whatever that is, that is just this natural way of thinking of, of acting without even thinking, you know, it's really connected to our amygdala or our reptilian brain, which is all geared towards safety and survival. And so, and so for me, intuition is, um, not always about survival. A lot of times intuition can be about, you know, reading out once again, like social dynamics and what's happening in the workspace or during a team meeting and, Imagine if you're doing an investment pitch or a presentation, you know, using your intuition to read out, you know, is the audience engaged? Um, is there something I can shift in mid-sentence that would have them be more engaged? Should I really go with the slide deck that I'd prepared? i um, like, all those things are really using my intuition, but it really doesn't have anything to do with safety and survival in that same way. I get it. But still, I mean, that's what I need to rely on to anticipate the needs of employees, customers, investors, et cetera.
2: Right, right. So, um, I'm debating between two different questions. Um, Well, let's talk about employees for a minute. I struggle with this idea, it's funny, I was just thinking about this yesterday, where so many employers or managers, and I will say employees on the other side of it, um, really see the relationship as an us versus them as opposed to a we. So, and I feel like that's one of those um, predispositions, one of those biases that that some people have that gets in the way of their really you know like interacting with each other effectively. So how, how I mean how would intuition play a role? Is this part of um, having an awareness? Uh, you know trying to be just more aware of the surroundings and not jumping to conclusions or like what can a manager do to use their intuition more than their preconceived ideas of what they're expecting Mm -hmm. from their employees?
0: Yes. I love this question. So I'm going to take the analogy of waiting tables and I used to wait tables back in the day in college and what have you. And one of the things I learned waiting tables is a good waiter has to be able to read out the table very quickly. Uh, And if you think about it, you know, people come to restaurants for different reasons, Sometimes they want, it might be a couple that's wanting a private moment with themselves and then they're more intimate and they actually don't want a lot of engagement from the waiter. There might be other times where a table is kind of bored or they're there for entertainment, not just to eat, not just to eat food, but to actually be entertained a bit, you know, going out on a Friday night, for example. And so in that case, you know, a waiter is able to read out uh, that they want to be more engaging and funny and entertaining to that kind of table. And so really quickly, you learn how to read out the energies of the room, if you will, or of the table. And so in my opinion, management is no different. That to me, a really good manager is able to read out what the employ- each employee needs and to actually pay attention to the fact that each employee probably needs something a little bit different to continue to grow and develop as a leader themselves. So some employees might need a little closer management where... Uh, they're checking in with you more often. You're building their confidence. Other, other staff might need more space where you actually back off more and give them more room to be autonomous. Um, so I think a good manager is learning to use their social intuition to really tune into each staff member, not just see them as staff, but to actually see them as like Susan and Ronald and Frank and um, you know, Richard or whoever it might be on the team. And so that way, they're really tuning into the developmental growth of each person. And my opinion is when uh, employees actually feel that, when they feel that the manager is taking a personal interest in their development, whether that's through one-on-one meetings or team meetings or what have you, or, or just even casually, um, not so formally, they actually thrive. And, and they feel like there's less of that barrier of the us versus them. And they're really being enrolled into a, a team culture, if you will.
2: That's terrific. So that's one of the ways that intuition helps develop culture within an organization. Is that right?
0: For sure. Um, and I think you know um, there are you know every group that forms has their own rules and values and habits and ways ways that we do it here. And, and so I think once again, it all starts in the hiring and recruiting that you're hiring for a fit. Um, It doesn't mean everyone needs to be the same because you want diversity, you want difference. That's how you grow and learn and have a healthy and strong team. But on the core values, you want people who are resonant on where you're going and why you're going there. And so I think there's a cultural intuitive space. But then, you know, I think that's where managers can really excel, is learning to tune into their staff more individually also. And and really feel into what does so-and-so need to be a little bit of a better to take more ownership this next year or to step into their next role of, a, of advancement in the coming quarter, what would they need in particular?
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. This is so interesting because I am just sure that people really aren't thinking about intuition this way. I think sometimes the, their, their definition of intuition is that, you know, it's that mother's intuition. Like I know when something's going wrong with one of my kids that, that it's really amorphous and it really isn't something that has, you know, concrete behavior or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Application mm-hmm. that you can really, yeah, that you can really be using. It's interesting.
0: Exactly. And I talk about three kinds of intuition. Um, and so this might be interesting to some of your listeners also is that um, one of them is more of like a directional intuition which is more that kind of inner guidance that inner gut hit about should we go left or right should we uh pull back on our budget this year or actually spend you know what does our gut collective gut tell us you know what's our inner compass tell us about about certain strategies and choices um so that's directional intuition i also talk about social intuition which we were just talking about with managers and waiters at tables who are able to read out the relational space between you know, a salesperson and a prospect, for example, and, and the nonverbal communication. To me, that's really, really good social intuition, which is also very much connected to emotional intelligence.
2: Yeah, I see And then that. thirdly,
0: the last intuition I talk about is informational intuition. And these are more the data scientists and the left-brain people who are really good at pattern recognition who are really good at breaking down code very fast and able to see and predict what's going to happen, just on being able to grok information very quickly, faster than most people. And so that's a whole other side we haven't talked about as much, is people with you know financial expertise and innovators in, in those different fields around programming and coding, who just see the matrix, they see the code, and they're able to then you know make predictions based on that, whether it's like Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or whatever it might be.
2: It's amazing. I mean, that to me that, you know, those people are amazing because it's just natural for them to be able to process information that way.
0: Exactly. And so I think all of us maybe have one or two, sometimes three um, of those that we're really learning to cultivate uh, those forms of intuition. Um, but sometimes we might just have one that's really our superpower, if you will.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating to me. I, I, I just really am fascinated by this information. Um, talk to me some about why you say slowing down is an action step.
0: Yes. So one of the key components of tapping into your intuitive center is you have to slow down. You actually have to slow down from your normal way of thinking, your normal way of moving. And, and as we all know, we're, we're in a world where we're getting flooded with information and outside stimulation and entertainment all the time, uh, whether it's through our smartphone or media or whatever it might be. And so we actually have to slow down to tune into our deeper data center, our deeper rhythms that we're in, and information that we're getting Cause what I find is information, uh, I'm sorry, intuition is actually working on a different, um, a different pacing, a different rhythm, and it's slower than our typical mind stream. And so when, that's, that's why when you take a hot shower and you're kind of in a more relaxed space, sometimes you have your best intuitions in those moments, or you're in, coming out of a dream and you're literally, literally in that altered state for a few moments and you get these amazing insights. That's why that happens in those spaces, because you're slowing down or you're in a slightly different state of mind. Um, and they actually are tracking this now with neuroscience that when you get out of your you know, typical alpha wave uh, brain, brain states and you get into the deeper beta and gamma waves, that's where flow states and intuitional states are, are there to, to provide that information that we're looking for, or that we don't even know that we're looking for. Yeah, All right. <laughs>
2: Exactly. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's key. You don't know what you're looking for most you know, many times. So you need to be able to be open to those thoughts and ideas coming to you.
0: Right. And that actually comes back to what you asked earlier. Like that's why it's uncomfortable because it's not familiar. And wow. sometimes yeah. we get these insights out of nowhere and these intuitions out of nowhere that just don't seem to stack up and, and make logical sense to us. Uh, and sometimes it goes against the grain or our cultural norm. Yeah. That's when it gets really intense when you have a strong feeling that you know your fellow, your business partners are not going to like to hear.
2: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And then, what, you know, and then what do you do in that situation when it's really clear that maybe you shouldn't make that hire or you shouldn't go down that road of product development and you feel very strong about it, but you know you're gonna get into a battle around that with your colleagues.
2: Right, and you know, the other thing I think about this is that people in leadership, um, I think they believe they're supposed to have all of the answers, and so sometimes they're so focused on trying to come up with the answer that they're not allowing themselves to discover
0: the answer. Totally. You got that so right. Um, You know, actually Simon Sinek, you're familiar with him as well? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. I uh, I think he's doing incredible work out there. He talks about that a lot that, uh, you know, leaders should literally speak last in their meetings because they already know what they know and they know what they think. Um, And a lot of times when a leader leads with, hey, here's what I think we should do. What do you guys think? Then immediately everyone else is going to agree with them. And and want to conform most likely to what the leader says. And Simon speaks to that very clearly. And so that's why I named him. But um, to me, you're exactly right. Like, what if you actually hold back on what you think you know, um, and you actually open up the space for, you know, I don't know where we need to be next quarter, but I wanted to talk about that today. And I wanted to see what you guys feel in, a, in, a, in your gut hit of, you know, should we go down road A or road B over here? And then let's talk about that for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. And then you can even feel right there how that opens up the space for innovation. Exactly. And that's what's missing, once again, I think a lot of times, is we don't, in, our, in how we use meetings, we don't often use meetings to really open up the space for strategic thinking and for innovation.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that is absolutely true. And that's something that I think is hurting a lot of organizations, they're, they're so, it's just, it, it's a, this feeling of being closed, that, you know, that they, they just can't get out of their own way. Wow. This is fascinating. So, um, uh, I, I wanna ask this question. Talk to me some about um, this thing you say that we should make allies with our inner critic. So Mm -hmm. what I'm curious about is why do we need to do that? Because I think people, you know, hate their inner critic. And then how do you actually do that?
0: Okay, it's great. It's a very rich question. We probably need a whole half hour just for that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll try to give you the highlights here. So why should we make allies with our inner critic? Because of the very reason you just said, we're usually hate our inner critic or we're at war with our inner critic. And what I've learned, I I, I used to study psychology. I have a master's in psychology. So I've learned about this from a different view. And our inner critic is part of who we are. And if we're always at battle internally about our, with ourselves, then we're never going to be integrated. We're never going to be at peace with our choices and our decisions and so how does that relate to intuition well it, often inner critic is one of the top barriers once again to trusting our intuition that's where the inner critic comes in and, and that's where doubt lives and so oh i don't know if that's really true yeah you had that gut feeling really strongly but those happen all the time or you know, can you really trust that that's just a feeling um and so that's where the critic really speak so loudly and often we're identified with the critic so closely that we forget it's a part of us. It's not all of who we are.
2: Ah, ha, ha, ha. I love that.
0: Right. That's and so awesome. that's why we need to get space because, you know, if people knew all the things that my inner critic was saying throughout the whole day, I would be locked up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no doubt. And so that's living inside of us all the time. And so we can go to war with it or try to ignore it or push it down. And a lot of people, you know, we all try our favorite coping strategies, um, but that doesn't really ever really work in the long term.
2: Okay. So I just love this that we, if we embrace the idea that our inner critic is not all of us, it's just a part of us, I, that really hit me. I think that is because it's so easy to get just totally wrapped up in that. Um, wow. You know, I I would like you to come back when the book is out uh, because I think we could just have even more conversation about this. It it, it would just be so awesome. And then, you know, everyone can um, get the book. Um, So, and, and so can I just say that I really appreciate you coming on and spending time with me. I have had so many ahas during this conversation that I am certain that the listeners
0: have as well. So thanks. I'm I'm appreciative of that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do here is inspire, but also really in a practical way. So we can take these tools that we all have somewhere in us and actually bring them to our worlds and be more of ourselves at work and also in our lives.
2: Yeah. 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 It's great. It's wonderful. I just, this is really great work that you're doing so will you tell my listeners how they can find you and, you know, anything? I know the book's not ready yet, but anything you've got going on that they should know? Yeah.
0: yeah. So you can find me on my website. My company is called Three Hats. And so that is three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E hyphen hats, H-A-T-S dot com. So three hyphen hats dot com. And you'll, you'll find um, my business. So I do business development coaching where I help uh, companies grow and looking at the areas they need to grow, as well as uh, build more intuitive thinking and decision-making like we're talking about today, whether that's with your sales teams, your hiring teams and strategies, uh, management, you know, leadership. So I I bring a lot of trainings uh, into different companies that are interested in this work. So you can find me there. And then uh, the book that we're referring to, it's called the invisible edge six steps for harnessing your intuition to succeed in business. And that should be coming out late 2018. And Diane, I would be happy to come back uh, when that's getting closer.
2: Great, that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, we will get that uh, figured out because I would love to have you back. So very good. So, and thank you again. Thank you, thank you. I also want to thank the listeners. Uh, You know, you guys are why we're here. So thanks for tuning in. And our sponsor, please remember to visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to sign up for your free trial and get a free audiobook as always continue to prosper and be curious and now I will say and be open to your intuition and tap into it for the greater good and until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day Coming up on 5 Minute News I'm Anthony Davis